Now, once again, we need to keep in mind that this book uh, is a letter that Peter has written to churches all throughout the known world. And, and these churches are full of individuals who have recently given their lives to Jesus and they're asking that difficult question. What does it look like to live for him? How do I live for Jesus in the midst of uh, a culture, in the midst of a society that is against him? What does it look like politically? What does it look like in my uh, family? What does it look like in my job, my occupation? Uh, how do I live for him? And it's the same question you and I are asking ourselves if we have a relationship with him. For others of you who don't have a relationship with him, maybe you're just asking, what does it look like in the first place to follow him? But either way, uh, this book is so critical uh, for us, especially during this specific time and moment in our history, because we find ourselves in very challenging and confusing times, and we're asking, what does it look like? How do I do this? How do I think well? How do I think biblically about these things? How do I respond? And so these uh, verses help us. They encourage us. They challenge us. And specifically, where they challenge us uh, is in the topic of suffering. Now, as Christianity spread across the known world, we see that also what came about was intense persecution, intense suffering for the name of Jesus. And as he's writing this, they're, they're starting to experience that. And they're asking, how do I respond when I'm being persecuted, uh, when I'm physically being uh, abused, when I'm being insulted? What do, what do I do in response to that? And not only uh, in response to that specifically in their lives, but then how do I actually even honor God through that? How do I, how do I, how do I live for him in the midst of this opposition. And so what we see throughout the book of 1 Peter is this common theme of responding to suffering, responding uh, to your faith being challenged. And so in verses 12 through 19, he continues with this theme. And we're going to start by looking at verses 12 through 14. And it says this, it says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Okay, so, so as, we, as we kick this off, it says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Now, the natural attitude for Christians is when they are suffering is, is to be, honestly, it's to be surprised. And I find this fascinating. We, we as Christians, regardless of so many verses talking about suffering, and how it's going to happen, and how we're to pick up our cross and follow Jesus, I'm amazed at how still, almost every single time, when suffering happens to us, we're surprised. And we're almost like, what, what's going on? How could this happen to me? Now, now, once again, let's be really clear the suffering that we're talking about, right? The suffering here is under the context of suffering for your faith, right? Suffering because 
you are living out the gospel. This isn't suffering because of some random event. In fact, uh, last night I was I was doing a run because it was really hot, and so I, I was running at night. It was cooler, and as I was towards the end of my run, a bug flew right into my eye, and it, it flies into my eye, and and I'm and I'm in pain, and I'm rubbing my eye, I'm trying to get it out. And, and it just was rocking my eye. It was awful. I finally get this bug out. And you know what I didn't say? I didn't say, man, that persecution was tough. God, I made it. <laughs> no, a bug flew into my eye, right? And so let's be really clear. Sometimes we, we just consider everything to be this, oh, I'm just suffering for him. Well, no, like certain random things happen in our lives. But what this is speaking to is when you're living out the gospel, when you're standing in the gap for Jesus and you are persecuted for that. And you could be persecuted physically by a person or even we see throughout scripture from the enemy because he uses everything uh, against us. But what he's saying here is we, we cannot be surprised uh, by this. In fact, if we're living for Jesus, this is part of the course. This is actually considered a normal Christian experience to suffer. In 2 Timothy 3.12, it says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Okay? And then, why is that? Well, um, one, we know Jesus was persecuted and we're to live like him. But there's another um, section in Scripture that I really love uh, when it talks about why we shouldn't be surprised about the suffering. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 15 and 16, it says, For we are the aroma of of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one a, fragr a fragrance from death to, de to death, to the other a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things, it says. And so what he's saying here is that literally our, our lives have a smell to them, okay? Um, and, and, and there's literally one or two smells, right, that people are, are smelling. Uh, and, and some of you, you've smelled a smell and you went, wow, that's a great smell. I love that smell. Others of you have smelled a, a, a smell, whether it's cologne or perfume, and you go, oh my goodness, uh, that, ugh. And what he's talking about is the aroma of Christ and how we live. It puts off the, the, essentially the, the scent of Christ, like, like it, it, it's, it's, it's to one person who receives the gospel. It's this aroma of life to life. But to someone else, it's death. And they refuse it and they don't want anything to do with it. And so they don't like it. And, 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 and so our lives are, are either causing others to want to follow Jesus or they're looking at our lives and they're saying, I want nothing to do with Jesus. They represent him. And so I am going to speak out against them, actively work against them. And, and I think that for many of us, we're surprised when we do suffer for our faith because honestly, we don't live out our faith that often. I think for a lot of us, um, we live very um, convenient. Um, we live a very cultural, Christian type of lifestyle. And so 
we look like everybody else, to be honest. We just scatter in some prayers, some Bible reading, some church attendance, but at the end of the day, we're not really following Jesus, being obedient to that calling on our lives. And, 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 and so suffering for some of us is literally foreign when it comes to our faith. And I think it is because Satan does not waste his attacks on nominal Christians, on Christians who aren't actually living for Jesus. Why? Because Christians who aren't actively living for Jesus and pursuing Jesus, they're no threat to Satan's agenda. In fact, he tries to use them for his agenda, right? Satan is consumed with those that are attacking his plans and his agenda. And so for a lot of us, we don't experience opposition for our faith in our life. And, and the reason we don't is because our lives are not a threat to the agenda of the enemy. And so we got to ask, how am I actually living for Jesus? If I'm not experiencing any opposition, if everybody just agrees with me, if everybody just thinks, oh man, I just, I love how you live. I agree with it and your, your views and, and, and everything else, the standards that you live by, man, that just makes sense. There's got to be something wrong there, right? Because we read that if I'm going to live for Jesus, there's going to be attacks, there's going to be trials, there's going to be sufferings. And in this section of scripture, it says these trials are not by accident, they're a byproduct of living out the gospel. Now, one of the things he says is he, he uses this fiery trial. We see that, that uh, word usage there. And what this uh, typically portrays to us is, is painful persecution, right? When we think of a fiery trial in our life. But it's also that word that it's also used of a furnace melting down metal to purge it of its impurities. In fact, in Psalm 66, uh, 10, it says, for you, O God, have tested us. You have tried us as silver is tried. Okay, so, so in other words, this fiery trial that we're walking through, uh, this suffering that's happening, uh, it, it's actually testing. It, it, it's testing the purity, the genuineness of my faith, isn't it? There's nothing like when things go wrong, there's nothing like that, that that actually exposes and reveals my intentions, that exposes and reveals where my heart's actually at, and it exposes and reveals what I was dependent on or leaning on instead of Christ, which is called what? Idolatry. And so these trials, there's actually this, this, this testing process, this purifying process that they bring. And so they're not by accident at all. God knows what he's doing. God knows what he's allowing to happen. And so it's necessary for us. Um, and in fact, I would say this testing process is even more necessary uh, for us considering where we live. Considering where we live in a country that would still mostly consider itself when it comes to uh, faith or religion, they would consider themselves, for the most part, Christian. And yet, in a country that says that, the last couple years, what we've seen in Christian culture is through COVID, through this pandemic, where it wasn't like we were even being targeted as Christians, where all of culture essentially was suffering in all these different areas, all these different pockets. They're all suffering in different ways and battling all of these uh, restrictions and all of that. 
But we see that even in the midst of something like that, where I'm not even suffering because I'm proclaiming the gospel, but we see so many people coming out of that completely disconnected from God. People that, 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 that be, because of the last couple of years, they're no, they're no longer walking with God. They're no longer seeking God. They're no longer following him. Uh, church is now just this optional thing. It's no longer um, obedience. It's no longer a critical piece of my life. And what that actually exposed in us, in our culture, is that Christianity pre-COVID was very convenient-based, wasn't it? It was just a part of life, part of a rhythm. We just did it. And so now, because it's not that, and there's more working against us, you're seeing who really wants to follow and obey Jesus. And now we're being forced into situations where to follow him, to obey him, to live for him, it's going to cost us something, isn't it? from schedules that are pushing church out of my life and navigating that. How do I maintain a priority there? How do I maintain a priority for my family to being put in positions now more and more where your faith could cause you to lose friendships? Family members could say, I want nothing to do with you. You could be canceled. And so we're now in this very divided place where you're actually going to start seeing more opposition for you following the gospel. And so what we see here is suffering for righteousness sake, it not only refines, but even before that, it reveals whether people are actually truly believers. And then it, he continues in verse 13, he, and, he, and he's sharing he talks about uh, this verse, and this, this section is tough for a lot of us. He's, he talks about how sharing in Christ's sufferings should cause us great rejoicing. Ooh, that's a tough one. I get asked a lot about that, and I see that verse used and abused in a lot of different ways, but, but look at Matthew 5, 10 through 12. These are Jesus's words. He says, blessed are those who are persecuted. He says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Do you hear that? He says, blessed, blessed are you. And then lastly, in 12, he says, Rejoice and be glad. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Okay, so I get asked all the time because we, we hear this um, verse used, we hear this mindset used, uh, and some of uh, you have had people say, well, why aren't you happy? You should be rejoicing in this trial and, and, and this conflict and, and all of that. And we're like mad about that. We're, we're damaged because of that. But um, we ask, how is this realistic? How is this possible? How can you be suffering for your faith and actually experience joy or, or rejoice in that? That is so counterintuitive. I don't feel that way. I actually feel disconnected from God. What in the world is this talking about? Let me bring clarity to that. Because we have to understand what he's specifically addressing when he says rejoice in this. What he's saying here is we rejoice in how the suffering 
connects us to Jesus. That's what he said. So, so if I'm suffering for my faith and someone maybe that I love is, is, is against me now and saying these things and, and all that, or, or someone wants nothing to do with me, or, or I actually experience maybe physical attack or, or even, even maybe a sickness or something designed to rob me of my faith. I don't, I don't just go, oh my goodness, yay, I, I get to walk through this, that's fantastic. No, that, that's not the joy here. The joy, the rejoicing, comes from how this connects me to Jesus like nothing else can. Are you hearing me on that? You guys, I want you to think about your life as a whole right now. Oftentimes, the people closest to us are people who we've gone through some really painful seasons with. And those seasons have forged this strong bond because of how the painful experience actually brought us together, how how we know what we've been through, how we've walked through this, how we didn't know if we were going to get out of it, but, but together we made it through that. And so there were emotions, there were thoughts, there was transparency, there was, there was truth that we, that we saw in each other and it changed us forever. And so there is this connection, there is this bond that we have that is unlike any other bond, right? And so we have these relationships like that and yet that's the very same thing when it comes to suffering in our relationship with Jesus. Suffering will connect you to Jesus like nothing else will in your life. And so the rejoicing, once again, isn't that like, oh, my life just is awful right now. No, it's that in this trial, God is connecting me to his son in a way that nothing else could. And that's it, right? That's all I should want in this life is to be as deeply connected to Jesus as I can be. I am called to follow him. And so anything that is going to bring me closer to him, um, I've, got to, I, I've got to be excited about that, right? I'm actually thankful for it. And, 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 and you're thankful for it in every other area of your life, but it's really tough when we can actually get to the place where that's our view of suffering for him. And yet all throughout the New Testament, we see Paul thankful, rejoicing what the sufferings do. As you study and you look at martyrs all throughout time, you see this common theme. And then he says, if we can rejoice while suffering now, how much more will we rejoice when Christ's glory is revealed? And when he says Christ's glory is revealed, he's talking about when Christ comes back. So those who share in his sufferings now will also share in his glory then. So just as we as we suffer now, when we're suffering, it connects us to his suffering. When we suffer for him, we suffer for God's will. It's connecting us to Jesus and the suffering that he went through. And just as it does that, we're also, when he comes back, we're going to be connected with him in his glory. And then he says in verse 14, if you are insulted for the name of Christ, he says, you are blessed. Blessed not only because of the eternal reward you will receive, but for the present blessing because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. That's what it says. See, we know from scripture that uh, the spirit, the Holy Spirit, the spirit of God indwells every child of God the moment they receive uh, Jesus as their Lord and Savior. But what we read here is that he rests 
in a special way upon those who are completely committed to Christ. In other words, walking out their salvation even through the suffering that they're facing. And it's those people who are living out their faith in the face of suffering that, that we see this uh, special commitment, this special uh, resting that happens from the Spirit on our lives. And it's those people who are living that way, walking through that suffering, that that, that know the presence and the power of the Spirit of, of God. And, and, and so when we see this word, when it says rests, on us, it, it, it's meaning to to give relief, uh, refreshment, uh, it, it, and 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 it's and it's talking about that's what it brings specifically under the context of suffering for the gospel. So the Spirit is 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 gracious. He gives us endurance, understanding, relief, and 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 just fruit that flows from his goodness and his kindness. And it's that kind of refreshment and, and that kind of divine power that we see uh, came upon Stephen, the, the first recorded martyr. We, we, we see in Stephen's life, actually, that while he's physically um, being destroyed, he's being, he's being stoned by people. They're, they're, they're killing him. Uh, they're executing him. And even in the midst of that physical pain, it says he had a face like, like an angel. And he's praying to God in this incredible way. And he's praying even for the people doing that to him. And what we see is the power, uh, the divine presence of the Spirit in his life in that moment giving him the ability to withstand that. And so the Spirit, uh, you know, and, and, and I know we're like, Spirit, I pray that, that, that you would, through your power you would remove all of this, but sometimes it's just giving us endurance. Sometimes it's moments of refreshment, moments of reprieve where we just feel like, okay, okay, okay. But he does that for us. And this is, and then in verses 15 through 18, it says, but let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Okay, so um, what he talks about here in verse 15, it, but let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. And, and, and what he's talking about here is a Christian should never bring suffering upon themselves for wrongdoing. Okay, they should, they, you know, and he uses these, these specific things, right? Like they shouldn't be guilty of murder, of stealing, of, of evil in, in general, or of, of meddling, right? What's meddling? Well, meddling is what? Uh, meddling in other people's uh, business. In fact, in 1 Thessalonians 4.11, Paul says, and, and to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs, is what he says. Mind your own affairs, okay? Um, and, and, and so, what we see, and man, some of us struggle with that, right? But what we see is when a Jesus follower steps outside of their obedience, outside of the faith they're called to live with, and they actually bring or invite trouble into their life, hostility, uh, resentment, uh, reactions and responses that are against them, um, persecution. When, when they actually bring that upon themselves, they have no right 
to claim that I'm being persecuted for my faith. And second, they have no right to claim uh, the, or expect the Holy Spirit's just relief on them, right? Okay, in other words, stop. If you're creating the opposition towards you, right? Outside of God's will. Now, what does this mean? Uh, this can look like multiple ways, right? Like this is me inserting myself into somebody's business who I've got no business being in their business and yet I make it my business. So I jump in, I hear some people talking, I jump in there and 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 maybe I'm judging them, I'm saying all these things uh, to them and then and then let's say they, they react negatively to me. And I come back to church and be like, oh my goodness, I'm being persecuted because they acted like this. Well, no, I instigated that. I'm the one who inserted myself into that and went at them. And so they're responding. That's not like spiritual persecution. That's, that's me inviting that. If I do something, um, you know, if, if I'm very hypocritical at my work and I keep talking about uh, Christ and my relationship with Christ, but let's say I'm stealing, um, I'm stealing money. I don't work hard. I always show up late, right? And and all of a sudden they're saying like, dude, you're full of it. What what in the world? Like, I don't believe what you're saying in all of this. I can't come away from that going, oh man, they're just persecuting me because I love God. No, they're calling out faults in my life. They're calling out my hypocrisy. And so you guys, honestly, some of us are instigating the persecution we're experiencing. We're generating it by our actions, whether it's, whether it's actual evil actions, um, whether it's, it's, it's like jumping into all of these other people's businesses and, and all of that, jumping into these online arguments, all of these things that we can do. And he's saying, stop it, stop that. But then in verse 16, he says, there's no shame or disgrace if anyone suffers as a Christian. And so glorify God as a Christian. And then he continues and he, and he has a similar theme here in 17 and 18. And what he does in 17 and 18 is Peter contrasts the suffering of God's people in this life with the suffering of the wicked for all of eternity. Okay, now the time, he says, has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. That's what he says. And so the time referred to here when he says the time uh, has come is this is the church age, right? This is from Pentecost to the return of Christ. This is the time we're actually living in. And he says the time is now. And then he says the house of God. And as he says house of God, he's referring to the church. And so the church during this church age is undergoing judgment by the unbelieving world, right? So as the church models Christ, lives for Christ, and influences culture for Christ, there's pushback, there's judging, there's suffering, uh, there's tribulations, all those things, right? And so he's saying that's going to happen. Believers are experiencing suffering now, just as Jesus did when he was on earth. And so then what in response to that is going to be the fate of those who don't obey the gospel, who don't respond. And he continues that thought in verse 18. And in fact, in verse 18, he's quoting from Proverbs eleven thirty-one, 31, where it says, if the righteous is repaid on earth, how much more the wicked and the sinner. But, but one of the things I love that he inserts when he quotes that in, in verse 18 is he says, if the righteous is scarcely saved, it says, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So he says, if the righteous is, is, is you know, you could put saved with difficulty or like he wrote, scarcely saved. 
what we what he's saying is, man, like it is so difficult. It is so tough, right? You guys, salvation in and of itself was purchased at an enormous cost, wasn't it? There was nothing easy about it. It was difficult for Jesus to literally go to the cross for you and for me, wasn't it? Sweating drops of blood, it was very, very tough to redeem you and I. It's through great difficulty that believers who try to follow Jesus are brought to that final salvation experience at the end. It's, it's difficult because of the unjust suffering, the, the purifying components that life brings into our life and just the discipline of God. It's very, very difficult to live for God and to follow him. It's not easy. In fact, we're told in Luke 13, 24, it says, strive to enter through the, the narrow door for many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. And then in Acts 14, 22, he says, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Man, that's tough. He's saying it, it, it's very, it's it's very difficult. It's rare. We see this in our culture, right? The majority. We talked about this a week ago. The majority is not going to follow God. The majority is not going to follow Him. The majority is not going to receive Him, and the majority is not going to who say they've received Him. The, the majority is not going to actually live for Him, right? The majority is going to claim that they're a Jesus follower, but they're not actually going to follow Jesus and be willing to actually suffer and walk that difficult journey, and so with all of those dangers, the temptations that consistently go against Jesus' followers, it's through God's divine grace that we enter heaven. And that being said, what will the fate of those who have died in their sins, those who are unrepentant, those who did not respond to the gospel? Peter says the ungodly's eternal suffering compared to the godly's temporary suffering is far, far greater. So we wanna to respond to him. And he closes with verse 19. He says, Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Okay? Those who suffer according to the will of God receive this encouragement. Okay? They receive an encouragement concerning the difficulty. What is the encouragement? It is the will of God. That's the encouragement. If you're suffering for your faith, because you're standing for Jesus, it is the will of God. If you're being attacked for your faith, if something's challenging your faith, it's the will of God. And knowing that God's will is in it, I love what it says next. Believers are called to entrust their souls to God's care and to God's purpose. And, and, and when we think uh, in, in trust, and, and, and he says, literally, according to God's will, entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. And, and when it says entrust, to, and, and I'm going to break down creator in a minute, but when he says entrust, 
This is literally a term that was used uh, like by bankers. Uh, it's this banker's term, and it's literally referring to a deposit that you would make for safekeeping, right? It's I'm depositing this because I know it will be safe uh, there. And so, and it's the same word Jesus used on the cross as he's committing his spirit to the Father. He says, into your hands I commit uh, my uh, spirit. And so we are encouraged in the midst of the suffering and knowing that God's will is in it that we can literally entrust our souls to a faithful creator. That I can say, God, this is yours. See, only here in the New Testament is God called creator. And why did Peter do that? Why does he say it this way? It's because he's highlighting the fact that God is the author of everything, the designer of all that is, the one uh, who uh, sustains. Uh, it, it's, it's his creation that will achieve his purposes that he's designed for it to achieve and he will bring to pass what he wills and only he is completely trustworthy. Amen? And so we are to entrust our souls, entrust our sufferings to the almighty powerful creator who's at work designing his perfect will. We can rest in him. That's the rest you experience. You rest in him. So I want to ask these closing thoughts. Are you willing to prioritize Jesus above everything else in your life, knowing that opposition, judgment, and struggle await? Are you willing to prioritize him? Not to make him part of your life, not to say a prayer, not to go to church, but to actually prioritize Jesus obeying him, following him above every other decision, above every other thing. Next, when in the struggle, you need to know that it's connecting you to Jesus. And that's where the joy comes from, is in knowing the connection that it's bringing between you and Jesus. And then lastly, Know that you can entrust your soul to Jesus in the suffering. You can entrust it to him. He is the almighty, all-powerful creator God. He shaped you, informed you, he knows you, and he knows what you and I need to go through in order for us to become more like him, in order for us to actually understand and know what truly are the desires of our heart. and the one who knows the impact we can make. And so I want to just encourage you in that and just know that God is so good. Even in the midst of suffering and the doubts and the questions, God is so good and just knowing he's at work and he's doing something. He hasn't forgotten you. Let's pray.